In Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14, there's a verse of Scripture that is going to become really the foundation Scripture for our time together. That is where God's Word said that a day would come, a generation would live to see the knowledge of the glory of the Lord cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. The knowledge of the glory of the Lord to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. We believe that we're living in just such a time as this, that we're living in prophetic times. And one of the things that we're going to be doing together in this time that we're going to spend together is not just to develop an intellectual, theological understanding of what is the glory of God, but also to develop an experiential understanding that will draw us into a deeper relationship with God in our own personal lives and equip us for more effective ministry in the place that God's called each of us to serve in these days that we're here. And before we begin, I'd like us to begin with prayer, if we might. Let's pray. Father, we love you so very, very much, and we praise you, and we thank you. That, Father, we're living in such a day, such a time, generation as this. That, Father, we literally believe that the prophecy that Habakkuk gave under the anointing of your Spirit of a day that would see the knowledge of your glory cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Father, we believe that we're living in such a time as that. And Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that you would make this time a time of great benefit, not just intellectually, but Father, that you would enlarge us and expand us and increase our hunger and our desire to see the revelation of your presence, the revelation of your anointing and your power in our lives and in our ministries, in an ever-increasing measure in the days ahead. For your glory, we ask it tonight, in Jesus' name, amen. My journey and experience with the glory of God really began in a powerful way on January 12, 1990. I was a pastor for many years, both in the United Methodist Church as well as having founded a church a non-denominational charismatic church in Florida, in central Florida. And it was on January morning in 1990 as I was praying over a piece of land, a seven-acre plot of land that we had just purchased to build a new church building on, that my brothers and sisters, the best way I can know to describe it is I was about 10 o'clock in the morning and I was out there just walking on this land saying, oh God, we love you and we thank you, we praise you for this land and God, we thank you for giving it to us. And God, help us with the building program. Help us with everything that we're about to embark upon. And brothers and sisters, the best way that I know to describe it is simply to say that the heavens opened. And we're going to talk about that more in the coming lessons together. But really, basically what happened to me was something probably similar to what Isaiah must have experienced that he recorded in Isaiah chapter 6 when he said, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And God's presence, God's power, and God's glory came upon me in a most unusual and phenomenal way. The best way I can describe it is to say that He became more real to me, a thousand times more real to me that morning than you are right now. So real was His power, so dynamic was His presence that I did something that morning that I've always regretted. I asked him, I said, God, you've got to lift this (laughs) because I was afraid if he didn't, I was going to die. 
I mean, I was really honestly afraid for my life because I felt as though I were a little iron filing about as big as a piece of sand, and he would have been a magnet as big as this building. And I knew that I could not stay in that place of intimacy with him very long without something giving way. And I said, God, I ask you, please back up or I'll die. And he did to a measure. He got to a place that I could at least breathe again. God began to speak to me, brothers and sisters. He began to speak to me very, very clearly about a day that would come, a season in history that would come, that that which I was experiencing alone in the middle of a piece of land that we were buying to build a church on, God made me to know, brothers and sisters, that what He was doing to me, He was literally going to do to millions and millions and millions and millions of people all over the world in every nation before Jesus came back. And though that experience, I don't really know how long it must have lasted, perhaps 40 minutes, perhaps an hour, for two weeks after that experience, the presence of God just hovered over me in an incredible dimension like I had never known before. I felt as though I'd been out on the beach all day long, lying in the sun, and had gotten a, a deep sunburn, though I was not sunburned to the visible eye. There was a burning inside of me that lingered for about two weeks after that. But whatever God did, I'm not altogether sure, and it really doesn't matter, except to say that He powerfully impacted my life, and He changed the desire and hunger of my heart even for ministry. We begin to pray for revival. Now, you must understand, I didn't know what revival was. I had been a United Methodist pastor for many years, and for me, revival was the first week of November every year. That was revival for me, Sunday morning through Friday night. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night, 7 o'clock, Friday night, come to church. We're going to have a potluck or pot blessing dinner at 5.30. Church will provide the tea and the coffee and the plates and the napkins and the cups and the glasses. See, I've done it so many times I've even got it by memory. And so the service will begin at 7 o'clock and it'll be over at 8.15. Unless we have a mighty sweeping move of God, the glory of God comes, the fire of God falls, the river of God flows, the wind of God blows, and then it might go all the way to 8.30. And then we're done for another year. And here I am out in the middle of a field of land, literally shaking under the power of God, the fire of God all over me, hearing the voice of God, the life of God surging through every cell of my body, God making me to know that what was happening to me was going to do it all over the world. We didn't know what else to do but begin to pray. And so we devoted every Thursday morning to prayer. Come together at 8 o'clock and pray for revival. We prayed for three years. Saw absolutely nothing. However, three years to the week of my experience in January of 1990, the best way I know to describe it is to say that the heavens opened and the glory of God came. And our church was in revival for about four weeks. Services going literally almost 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The newspapers came and did three articles on it, all of them very favorable and positive. Hundreds of people were coming. We saw in that four-week period about 800 people come to Jesus. 
But the most interesting thing about what God was doing in those days, my brothers and sisters, was that it was His presence. It was His tangible, manifested presence that literally was being experienced by people even driving into the parking lot. You just drive into the parking lot of the church and open the car door, and it was like driving into a cloud of the presence of God. It was in those days that my life and ministry was forever touched and was forever changed. It was about a year after that, while in Africa, that God spoke to my heart and made me to know that I was to begin to travel in ministry after 12 years of full-time experience. And the prophetic word that God gave us at that time is He said this. He said, Son, I have called you to go and help prepare my church for what I've already prepared for my church, the coming of my glory and the greatest revival the world has ever seen. That was a little bit over 10 years ago. That length of time, God has sovereignly sent us to big churches, little churches, city churches, country churches, back and forth across America, over 2,700 meetings on five continents with a simple message to God's people and God's leaders, get ready because God's about to move in the earth. God's about to move in the church in an unprecedented way in the days coming. And it's not that we've got to change God's mind and talk Him into doing it. My brothers and sisters, it's you and I that have got to change. It's the church that's got to get ready. It's the church that's got to prepare God's already ready. And so one of the things we're hoping and praying and believing for God to do is for God to give us better understanding of what glory actually means to prepare our hearts, to prepare our lives, and help us to posture and structure our ministries to get ready for what God's gotten ready already for us. Amen? Well, that's where we're going. When I was a child growing up, I had the privilege of growing up in a little town called Fairhope, Alabama. Does anyone know where Fairhope, Alabama is? Well, it's real easy to find. It's just on the opposite side of Mobile Bay. And there's something that happens on the eastern shore of Mobile Bay that does not happen any other place on the earth. There is a little island off the coast of Japan that's similar but not exactly like this. And it's called a jubilee. It happens between Spanish Fort and Point Clear. It happens in the month of August, September, sometimes even over into early October. It usually happens in a period of rainy weather, usually happens on a falling barometer, usually happens with an east wind. It usually happens around the time of a full moon. Scientists understand exactly what is happening. They just don't know why it happens there and not of a lot of other places around the world. But what it's called is a jubilee. It always happens at night and its end comes at the first break of day in the morning. But what happens in this bay is that the water in this bay begins to change. Three rivers that flow into the top of Mobile Bay mixing with the salt water from the Gulf of Mexico coming up from the bottom end of the bay. But what happens is the water in Mobile Bay begins to change. 
and there are pockets of highly oxygenated water that begin to form. And when that happens, all the fish, all the sea life in that bay begins to gravitate toward these pools of highly oxygenated water. And wherever the wind, wherever the tides carry those pools of water, the fish go with it. And occasionally, if the winds are just right, one of these pools that can be anywhere from a few hundred yards long and a hundred yards wide up to a mile long and hundreds of yards wide, occasionally one of these pools of this oxygen-rich water will drift up on the shoreline. And my brothers and sisters in the Lord, when that happens, it is an all-you-can-eat seafood buffet. I can remember as a small child going with my father to the bay at like 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning and walking into that muddy, cold, dark night water with big lamps and lanterns that would illuminate the water. And my brothers and sisters, it was filled with fish. Flounders would be all over the bottom. It's not which flounder can you gig with a gig, but which one do you want? We used to carry a big tub with an inner tube wrapped around the back of it, tied on a rope to the back of my father's belt. Trout, flounder, eels. I've seen shrimp so thick you could literally shovel them out with a snow shovel. Now that's not a fish story. That's a jubilee. When the water, the tide, the salinity, the moon, the barometric pressure... All of these things collided at just the right proportion, at just the right moment. This great abundance of blessing of seafood became a reality. My brothers and sisters, they have the Jubilees in Mobile Bay in August, September, and October every year. But where we stand tonight as a church is we stand tonight on the threshold of a great Jubilee of the Spirit of God and what God is about to do in the days leading up to the second coming of the Lord Jesus. Joel chapter 2 talked about how that in the last days, says the Lord, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And on my servants and on my maidservants will I pour out my Spirit in those days. Haggai spoke of the day that the glory of the latter house would be greater than the glory of the former house. Habakkuk prophesied, and we've already quoted that tonight, about a day and a generation that would come, that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Now, brothers and sisters, understand that this knowledge that we're talking about tonight, and Habakkuk was prophesying, is not that the whole world is going to get an academic knowledge, but it is an experience-based knowledge that has come as a result of an encounter with God. That's what's coming in the days that are before us. We're standing on the threshold of a great jubilee spiritually. Three nights ago, we concluded a great evangelistic crusade just outside of Johannesburg, South Africa. I was there with Rodney Howard Brown and Reinhard Bonnke and R.W. Schombach. And we saw in a 10-night crusade over 175,000 people come to Jesus. 
over 10 nights, over 175,000 people came forward as God's power came in a phenomenal way. We saw miracles of healing, people walking out of wheelchairs and putting down crutches and people that had been in accidents unable to move, be able to stand and walk and move about in total freedom. How does that kind of thing happen? Well, that happens in the glory. When God comes and His power comes, His anointing flows. Reinhard Bonnke is having meetings in the African nation. Even at this moment, as we're here with you, Reinhard Bonnke is in Nigeria. And they've had meetings in Nigeria recently where they had over a million people saved in one single service in Lagos, Nigeria. Think of that. Over one million salvations in a single service. My brothers and sisters, God is beginning to move in the earth by His Spirit. He's beginning to move in the earth by His Spirit. Now, the way God moves is by His Spirit, but the revelation of His Spirit is what we call the glory of God, thus the foundation of our study together. Now, in the Scriptures, there are two broad definitions of glory. I want to cover them very quickly. The first definition of glory is glory is a term that is used to describe great honor, praise, value, and worth, splendor, respect, wealth, strength, wisdom, and beauty. Glory may be used in this context as either a noun or as a verb, and within the context it can be used to describe or to speak of either God or man. Now, the second definition of glory, and the one that we are going to use for our study together, is that glory would best be defined as a noun that is used to describe the revealed, manifested presence of God when it is being observed and experienced in the natural realm by people. Now, there's one important thing to recognize and to remember in our study of glory. Glory is when God comes, the presence of God comes out of the spirit realm and can be experienced, my brothers and sisters, using one or more of the five natural senses. The five natural senses, what are they? Sight. You say the glory of God can be seen? Well, over 2 million Jews watched the cloud for 40 years, hovering over them by day, and as a pillar of fire by night. The glory can be manifested by sight, by hearing. You say the glory can be heard on the day of Pentecost. The Bible says, and the room was filled with the sound of a mighty rushing wind. Sight, hearing, taste, touch, smell. It's when the presence of God comes into the natural realm and can be experienced by people using one or more of their five senses. I was in a meeting several months ago in England. God has just opened doors for us all over Europe. I've crossed the Atlantic Ocean 12 times this year. And one of the things that happened in this particular meeting in England was the presence of God came at ministry time in those services in such a way, my brothers and sisters, that you could smell it like a fragrance. It was like waves of a fragrance, like a florist shop, like roses and flowers that would just come through the church 
in the worship and at the time of ministry that night. I wish we had time to really do an in-depth study of what the Bible is referring to when it talks about an open heaven, but we find references to it in the Old Testament, in the Gospels, and in the New Testament. Now, what an open heaven is, is when the barrier that divides and separates the natural realm from the spirit realm opens. It is when the barrier that divides the natural realm from the spirit realm opens and the contents of the spirit realm of the presence of God, the glory of God, spills over into the natural realm where you and I can experience God. Where you and I can experience God in a measure while we're still here in the earth. Now, Glory has substance, though it's not of any natural explanation. Glory may also be tangible. And what tangible means is it has substance. Secondly, it can be observable, which means it's able to be witnessed or its effects witnessed. And thirdly, it is transferable, which means it can be imparted into are carried by people. We're going to talk about all of these in the course of our study together. Now, to understand glory, I want you to imagine glory this way. As the atmosphere is to the earth, so glory is to heaven. The relationship of the earth to the atmosphere is the same as the relationship of heaven to glory. When you and I get to go and live in heaven one day, we are going to live for all of eternity in the manifested presence of God. Just as we live here and breathe air, we're going to breathe the measure of God's presence when we go to live there for all of eternity. I will never forget the testimony in Montreal, Canada several years ago. Never forget it. We had gone there to have revival meetings in this particular church in downtown Montreal The presence of God, the power of God was coming in a phenomenal way in those meetings. And there was a woman that was seated in the back of those services that was there every morning meeting. She was there every night meeting. And God was ministering to her, but she had not come forward for prayer until Thursday night. She came back Friday morning with one of the most astounding, remarkable testimonies I've ever heard. She shared how that three years prior to that, she had been in an accident at home and had been electrocuted. And she had had one of these out-of-body experiences. She said, I was literally hovering at the top of the kitchen, looking down on my lifeless body on the floor. Her husband was a doctor. And she said, I saw my husband working feverishly, doing CPR, trying to get my heart started again. And she said, I just wanted to tell him, don't do that. She said, I was in the place of the most incredible peace. She said, I love my husband, I love my kids and my life. But she said, I was in this incredible dimension of peace. And she said, I was like trying to say, don't resuscitate me. Just plan a funeral and go bury it. I'm alive. And she described this amazing journey that she took. She said, I was traveling faster than the speed of light. She said, I don't know how long it took because time was suspended. But she said, I could see out in front of me something coming. She said, I knew it was heaven. And she described her experience. And she'd given this testimony all over Montreal in churches and Christian groups. But she was in heaven for about 25 minutes. 
And while she was there, she saw just a little portion of heaven. She talked about colors in heaven that we don't have in the earth, and the sounds of heaven, and the music of heaven, and flowers, and this incredible sense of well-being and peace and life. And she described her walk with Jesus in a field of beautiful grass. But she said, he turned to me, and with a big smile on his face, he said, your work on the earth is not yet done, and you've got to go back. And she said, I begged him, no, I want to stay here. He said, you've been allowed to see this place. And this is where you're going to spend eternity. But you've got to go back to the earth and finish the work that I've called you to do. But you've had a glimpse of this. And one of these days, you're coming back here to live for all of eternity. She said, in the next moment, I was back in my body. And they were putting me in an ambulance, took me to the hospital, kept me overnight. The next morning, I came home. But she said, for two weeks after that, I had a sense of depression because she said I was homesick for heaven. One of the most remarkable testimonies I've ever heard is when this woman said to me, she said, Brother John, she said, last night in the meeting when God touched me, when I was prayed for at ministry time, she fell to the floor under the power of God. She said, while on the floor, she said it was just like heaven, only on a very small, small scale. She said, it was just like what I remembered in heaven, just on a very, very small scale. Well, that woman became addicted to revival. She became addicted to the glory of God. Because what it is, my brothers and sisters, it is when a measure of that realm spills over into our realm. And we experience the heaven. I believe that's what Jesus was talking about in the Lord's Prayer when He said, When you pray, pray this way. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And then what did he say? Your kingdom come. Your will be done in the earth as it is in heaven. I believe that's what he was referring to. Is the measure of that realm to come over into our realm and for you and I to live in that place continuously. Moving right along, there's an experiential dimension of glory. And I must warn you, my brothers and sisters, do not go to the theological school, do not go to the seminary library and try to look up all the theological truths on glory because I've already been there and done that. You will not find that much. There will be some. There will be some academic side to it. But you see, glory, to really be understood, must be experienced. We have the theological aspects of glory. We're building a foundation of our understanding. But brothers and sisters, we will never really understand it from a purely academic standpoint. And theologians have written all that they can write about it from a theological perspective, but there's not much to write. But for the believer... For the man or the woman, the teenager or the child that's learned to live under an open heaven where the presence of God comes and the anointing of God flows in our hearts and in our life, there's no time to talk about it all. There's no way to write about it all. There's not time in this life to discover all that is there. But there's an experiential side of this. And that's what we said in the beginning We're not just here to give you a theological understanding, 
but hopefully see your heart and your life open to a new dimension of freedom and anointing and power and blessing by understanding what glory is. We understand glory. We define it by Scripture, but that definition grows and our understanding of Scripture enlarges because we've experienced God in His glory. Most people have sought out the power of God. Great evangelists have sought the power of God. The church wants the power of God. But today in the earth, God is restoring His presence to the church. Now, I want you to remember this. The power of God without an appropriate appreciation and love for the presence of God will destroy us. The history of the church is littered with the wreckages of individuals and churches that moved in great power anointings that blew it. What God is seeking to do in these early days of the 21st century is raise up a people, raise up a generation, raise up a church that loves His presence. And if we'll love His presence, value His presence, cherish His presence, then He's raised up a people that He can trust with His power in this coming revival. Now, there are three theological terms that I want for you to understand. The first one is that God is omnipresent. It means He's everywhere at all times. That God is omnipresent. He's also omniscient. And that means that He knows everything. He possesses perfect knowledge. And thirdly, He's omnipotent. And that means He's all-powerful. Now, there's a great difference in understanding between the omnipresence of God and the manifested presence of God. And glory is His manifested presence. The essence of all that God is, His omnipotence, His omniscience, His omnipresence, is contained in His manifested presence, which is His glory. His glory is when His presence comes into the natural realm and people can experience Him using one of more of their five senses. But I like to say this in all the churches that God sends us to in America and Canada and all over the world, that when God comes to church, everything He is comes with Him. When God comes to church, everything that He is comes with Him. Now, if you look at Scripture, you'll find that God has 57 names. How many folks would like to have 57 names? Well, it takes 57 names to just be able to identify a little bit in every one of those 57 about the nature of His glory, the nature of His presence. And when God comes in His manifested presence, everything He is and everything represented in all those names is manifested and revealed in that place. That's important to understand early on in our study together that church glory is not a thing. It is not a force. It is not an it. It's not a power. It's not an experience. But rather glory is the presence of a person, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third co-equal member of the Trinity the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. When we speak of the glory of God, the glory is actually the revealed, manifested presence of the person of the Holy Spirit. The anointing of the Holy Spirit, it is the touch of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, the greatest revelation of glory in the earth that all of the miracles of Jesus 
were manifestations and revelations of his glory. Now you say, well, how did that work? Because Jesus said, I do nothing of myself. He said, it is the Father that is always with me. He does these. Well, how did that happen? Because of the anointing of the Holy Spirit that descended upon him like a dove descends at the time of his baptism. That's what Acts 10.38 was talking about. When Peter was preaching at the house of Cornelius, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, how he went about doing good, healing all those that were oppressed of the devil. How? For God was with him. Jesus walked in the glory. Ultimately, my brothers and sisters, the revelation of the glory of God is really all about the manifestation of the presence of God through the person of the Holy Spirit. I know I'm repeating that, but I want us all to understand that glory is not a thing. It is not a movement. It's not a power. It is not an experience. It is the manifested presence of the third person of the Trinity who has come from the realm of the spirit into the realm of the natural and allowing us to experience him. Now, understand something very quickly. Entire generations of Christians have lived by faith, loved God, served God, preached the gospel, prayed, studied the Bible, tithed, gave, went to church, and never one time in their life experience what we're beginning to experience right now all across the earth. Church historians tell us that what's going on right now in renewal, revival, whatever you want to call it, has never happened like this before. That God's manifested presence is coming in big churches, little churches, city churches, country churches, and millions and millions and millions of people all over the globe are experiencing glory in our generation. Beloved, God's up to something big, and we're going to be a part of it. Amen? I want to close by sharing with you an experience that profoundly impacted my life. I was on the 10th floor of a Holiday Inn in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, in January of this year. We were having wonderful, wonderful meetings in a little church in downtown Philadelphia. God was moving powerfully in those meetings and people were being touched, people were being blessed and the presence of God was so rich and such a blessing to people that were coming to those services. But on this Thursday evening as I was preparing to go to the Thursday night meeting, as I sat there in a big chair in front of a window, I'm from Tampa, Florida and I don't get along well in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, January weather. It was five degrees below zero, and the wind was blowing about 30 miles an hour. I'm sitting there looking at the other side of that glass trying to think, my God, what am I going to do? I'm going to turn into a popsicle when I walk out of this hotel. But we're having wonderful meetings in this church. But my brothers and sisters, I began to get a little discouraged because that day, Over lunch, the pastor of the church and I had gone to a very nice restaurant. We were talking about revival. We talked about things that God had done. And he had shared with me stories and testimonies about how God had come in such great power in in this church in Philadelphia in the 1990s, but how ultimately the pastor of the church got involved in immorality and fell away and church blew up. And 
And how in this other church, you know, that they'd had a great move of God in 96, 97, 98, 99, and the glory had come, and God had done great and mighty things in their church, and how it just kind of waned and kind of dried up, and, and how they're seeker-friendly church. And, and I'm not criticizing anybody. I'm not criticizing anybody at all. Please understand me. But we need to be more Holy Spirit-sensitive, not just people-sensitive, and build a place for God to come. And how this had happened to this place and that had happened at this other place and so forth and so on. And really, I was quite happy that lunch kind of came to an end because his testimonies of things that had happened began to engender in my own heart. You know, we've been on the road now for 10 years. I get enough frequent flyer miles every year to get a round trip ticket to Mars, going from place to place to place. And one of the things that has been hard for us in these years is to see the fires of revival ignite in churches and see the power of God come and the presence of God come and the river of God flow and the glory of His presence burn brightly in the place and over time to see it wane and see the church slip out of that which God did and go back a year later and spiritually they're cold and spiritually they're indifferent and spiritually it's like trying to suck peanut butter out of a jar with a straw and you think my god you know what happened here and how did this happen in the way that it did and so here i am in this holiday inn room sitting here looking at this window that's five degrees below zero on the other side and the wind blowing and i really believe it was the enemy that planted seeds of doubt in my own heart and i began to wonder you know why am i here and what's this all about As wonderful as what God was doing, I thought to myself, is this just going to be another church that's going to experience a move of God, that's going to experience an outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Is this just going to be another place that it's going to begin to wane and subside and and that in a few months it'll be business as usual once again? It's the only time in 10 years of traveling I've ever been discouraged was that night in Philadelphia. And my dear brothers and sisters, as I sat there wondering to myself, the glory came. The presence of God literally filled the Holiday Inn room on that 10th floor. And I heard the voice of the Holy Spirit. I heard Him as clearly as I can hear the sound of my own voice right now. And all He said was one simple sentence. But that sentence changed everything. He said, son, it's not about a movement. It's about me. It's not about a movement. It's about me. And in one moment, I understood. It's not about revival. It's not about renewal. It's not about what God did in Toronto. It's not about what God did in Smithton. It's not about what God did in Brownsville. It's not about what God did in this place or that place or some other place or this church or that church or this meeting or that meeting. But my brothers and sisters, we are living in a time that God is striving to raise up a church that does not embrace a new theology, a new philosophy, a new set of behaviors, a new way of doing business as church, 
God is seeking to raise up a church and raise up a family and raise up Christians in our generation. It's not about a movement. It's about me. That know His presence. That know His glory. That know what it's like for the kingdom of God to come and the will of God to be done on the earth as it is in heaven. To actually experience God, to actually live in the manifested presence of God individually as believers on a regular basis, and more importantly for the church to come back to the place that going to church is going to an appointment, going to a place of meeting, going to a place where the heavens open where the realms of God begin to come out of the spirit realm and be revealed in our churches in the natural realm, that people can come to church and actually experience God. And that's what God's doing right now all over the earth is He's raising up a church. He's raising up people. He's raising up ministries that have come to the place of understanding it's not about movements, It's not about fads. It's not about manifestations. It's not about new ways of having church. But it's simply about making room for and welcoming and yielding to the person of the Holy Spirit and allowing Him to come and meet with us. Amen.